chapter 8, verse 23. This is a bit of a continuation from, well, it's not a bit, it is a continuation from the verses that we read last week. And so I'm just going to read this all together. Uh, as you, If you'll just follow along, I'm going to be reading uh, beginning back in verse number 18 when we talked last Sunday about the cost of discipleship. So I will read this uh, for you. Follow along. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around Him, He gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to and said to Him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Another of the disciples said to Him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. When He got into the boat, His disciples followed Him. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. He was asleep. We'll finish reading through that as we get through this. But we see this beginning of the story starting in verse number 18 when Jesus decides that it was time to go to the other side of the, of the sea there and leaving the Jewish side of the sea of, uh, of Gennesaret and moving over to the Gentile side. And just a, another, another verse or two, he's going to encounter two men with demons on the, on the, on the if you will, the Gentile side of the of the lake here. And so this is, this is the setting. And right before Jesus was getting into the boat or as he was walking down to the water to get in, he has these two encounters and these two conversations as we looked at last week. Well, we continue the story as Jesus finally gets into the boat and it says that his disciples followed him. He has set sail and we don't really know if these two would be disciples that we read about last Sunday uh, are on the boat. The context seem, and tradition seems to think that they had not uh, followed through with their commitment. But we know from reading Mark's account, Mark and Luke both write about this same story and provide their own uh, uh, extra details for that. Mark tells us that many boats were out on the water with Jesus. And it had been a long and busy day. A little downtime surely would be a good thing for everybody. It's vacation, if you will. Just being travel, just traveling, getting away from the, the the normal duties, being out at sea. Hopefully, a time to relax, to recover, refresh, and 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 Jesus would get right back into the ministry work, if you will, on the other side. Uh, and and in fact, we see here that the, the Matthew just throws this little statement in there that if we're not really paying attention, uh, we we can we we read it because the fact that he's asleep does have some bearing on the rest of the story, but the fact that Matthew tells us that he was asleep uh, rather than just the fact that they were in a storm reminds us once again in very small, subtle ways that though Jesus is fully God, He is also fully man. That means that He dealt with things that you and I face like hunger, thirst, and even exhaustion. And just before we are confronted with Jesus' divine nature and His ability to calm a storm. Think about that. He calmed a storm. He made the storm stop. You imagine that happening now, someone walking out into a, 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 a snowstorm and saying whatever you need to say to make a snowstorm stop. And it stops. 
And when we read about the miracles in the, in the Gospels, and sometimes, at least for me, we can read about them and they just become commonplace, but these are miraculous things. That's why we call them miracles. They don't happen regularly, and they don't happen uh, just by anybody's power. They happen through the power of God. And so we're going to be confronted with Jesus' divine nature at the end of the passage, but just before that, Matthew subtly reminds us again of the human nature. And as we get into the story, Jesus has closed his eyes and drifted off asleep in the back of the boat. Well, the quiet and the calm didn't last. We don't know how long it lasted. The Sea of uh, Galilee there is not a very big uh, sea to begin with, but at some point on the journey, a violent storm uh, springs up. And it was not uncommon for storms like this to kind of suddenly appear and, and, and because of the geography of the region and, and specifically of that lake, uh, strong winds could turn a calm and peaceful day into a raging storm. Uh, what turned, what began as a, you know, nice day out on the lake turns into a fight to survive. In fact, the word that is used, uh, to describe this, this great storm that we read about is, is, is the word seismos, and it's the word that we get our words like seismology and, and, and seismo, uh, seism, seismograph. I'm trying to say all the right words. And, and it describes a violent shaking. You know, we use it to, to talk about earthquakes, but on the sea there, it, it's, it's talking about just a, uh, just a chaotic event. And, and this is what they go, this is what they're going through. Now remember that many of the disciples are seasoned fishermen which means that they were very used to being out on the boat. This was not their first time in poor weather. They know what to do. They know how to handle it. We will get through this. But this storm must have been a terrible storm. The fact that it shook the disciples such uh, tells us that this was more than a little rain and a little wind. This is a, a, a great storm. The waves begin to come over the sides of the boat. And this begins to concern the men. They've dealt with this before. They have protocol, and no doubt they begin going through that. If at anything, it's at least grabbing a bucket and bailing water. But they realize after some time that the storm isn't letting up. The wind is not dying down. The waves continue to crash over the boat. And the Bible says that the ship was covered with the water. Faster than the sailors could bail, the water is coming in. And they likely had been in bad situations before this, but this was worse. This was looking bad. The ship was covered with water, and I'm sure that they begin to run out of options. What are we going to do now? I've been out on a boat before. I've been out in the Pacific Ocean in a, in a, in a, in a decent-sized boat. A decent-sized boat on the lake uh, looks pretty big until you take it out into the ocean. If you've ever been out into the ocean on a boat, uh, you, you you realize you're no longer at the top of the food chain. Uh, in a car, if you're not enjoying the ride, you can park, get out, and walk. You don't do that on a boat. Uh, if you don't like what's happening, there's nothing you can do. Uh, we've And I've been on cruises, and I've been on small boats, and I've been on little rowboats, and uh, you don't necessarily feel confident and safe when you're out in the water when a storm springs up. But the thing that gives me hope, the thing that gives me peace and calm is looking to the captain of the boat. And I remember we were fishing one week, one year and uh, out on this boat. I don't know how big the boat was, but it was a it was a decent sized boat. It was capable of being out in the ocean there and 
the the guy the the guy that owned the boat or the captain there he was our it was in our church and he had invited us to go fishing and I was getting a little nervous I was getting a little sick and it was uh, getting a little hairy out there but I looked at the captain and he was doing okay and I thought well if he's not worried then I'm not worried right but the worst thing to see when you're out on a boat at sea is a worried captain if you're worried, that's no big deal. You don't have any control over it. But when the captain is a little worried, and when he says, you know, we probably should turn back. We need to turn around. And eventually that day at sea happened like that. I looked one moment and he was okay with it. And then the next moment he was, he was a little concerned. And, I, I, and once again, I still have no control over what I'm doing. But now that the, the, the experienced sailor is in trouble, I feel like I'm even in more trouble. And this is what I imagine these these sailors were like these these guys had been out on the water many times this was their for many of them it was their job they knew how to handle themselves out there they knew exactly what to do they knew it would be okay the boat wasn't going to tip the boat you know they were they were going to make it through they were going to be fine but now they get to this point when maybe it's not going to be okay maybe we aren't going to survive maybe this isn't going to turn out okay in the end and I and as I play this story out of my mind, I I I'm I'm hearing the waves and and I'm and I'm kind of feeling the spray of the of the waves as they flash uh, crash over the side of the boat, and I hear the disciples kind of yelling at each other and and, and frantically trying to, to to do whatever they can to lighten the ship, to bail the water, to do whatever they can. And then, sometime in the midst of the chaos, someone looks to the back of the boat and sees Jesus sleeping. He's curled up. As Mark and Luke tell us, he's got his head on a cushion and he's peacefully sleeping away while the rest of them fight for their lives. And if you can imagine that 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 sense of 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 dumbfoundedness, as the the sailor who catches the disciple that that catches Jesus sleeping just kind of stops and thinks, really? And maybe he's getting everyone else's attention, going, "What's going on? How can how can he sleep through this?" For one thing. I mean, this is this is crazy that the rocking of the boat and the and the crashing of the waves on the ship is, is noisy and chaotic. How could he sleep through this? We need help. We need him to get up and do something. And and so I can I can uh, imagine them as they begin to scramble their way over to Jesus. We don't know exactly how big the boat was, but it probably wasn't very big. These the fishing boats of those times, as they get over to Jesus and they 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 decide we need to wake him up. But Matthew doesn't tell us all of the details here. Matthew tells us what we need to know to get the message that he is going to teach us. But if we read Mark and Luke, it kind of helps us to see that it wasn't as cut and dry as Matthew seems to make it. There was a storm. They woke Jesus up. He called him a storm. No, there was, this, was, this is not a five-minute event. This isn't a, an event that took as long for us to read it as it did in, to play out. And so uh, we, we, we read these and try to understand and put ourselves in that situation a little bit better. Picture the disciples. They leave their bailing buckets wherever they are, and they are taking on water, but now it's more important that they go and wake up Jesus. They scramble across the boat to their sleeping teacher, and they need to wake him up to see if he can help, at the very least to lend a hand pitching water out, but maybe he's got some other ideas. But think about it, if the force of the waves and the noise of the wind and even the splash of the water didn't wake up Jesus, how forcefully do you think they needed to to wake up Christ? I mean, if someone can sleep through that, he wasn't going to be woke up with a gentle nudge. 
Jesus was sleeping heavily, peacefully resting. Now, I bet they didn't come over to him with a, a gentle touch in the way that you wake up your children on the first day of school when you're, you're excited to leave and you're being parental and maternal and you're gently nudging them. I don't think they came up to like the Jesus. Jesus, wake up. There's a little problem outside. We need your help. Jesus, come on, Jesus, wake up. No, I don't think that was at all because these guys are panicked. These guys have just left trying to save their lives and they rush over to Jesus. And I think that this, this, uh, this save us, Lord, we perish. This, uh, 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 Mark uh, adds another phrase later on. He says, don't you care that we're perishing? I think that they're shaking Jesus. I think that they're, they're, they're ru- rushing Him as, as much as they can and, and shouting just at the very least over the noise of all the chaos around them. Jesus, wake up. There's a storm. If you hadn't noticed yet, save us. We are going to die. I hear desperation in their voices. Hopelessness in their words and in their hearts. Time is running out. And these men have tried everything that they know to do. And nothing is working. As I said, Mark tells us that they, that he, they he includes another statement that Matthew did not record for us. He says, do you not care? that we're dying. Not only do they feel hopeless and helpless, but now they feel alone in their struggle. They feel like Christ is aloof to any of the problems that they're dealing with. And so what we see thus far that Matthew describes a great storm. And in this great storm has produced in the disciples a great fear, a great anxiety, a great panic, a great despair. And so Jesus finally wakes up. And He looks at him, And He doesn't panic like the rest. He doesn't look around and, 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 and get all nervous and anxious as the rest of them are. But he doesn't. neither does He take charge and start issuing orders. He's obviously the boss. He's obviously the one in charge. But He doesn't say, alright, you, you, you get back to what you're doing and, and you get over there. And, and, and at the same time, he, he doesn't even grab a, a bucket and try to help out with any of these things. He's calm. He's at peace. And he looks at them and rebukes them. He chastises them. He says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. That's quite a shock. This is definitely, once again, not the reaction that we expect to get out of Jesus. Think about what he said to the scribe in verse number 19. The scribe came to him and said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And he didn't say, good, glad to have you. He says, you know what this is going to cost, right? I'm basically homeless. I have no guarantees of worldly comforts. And if you follow me, you will not either. Discouraging the scribe. Then the next guy that comes up to him and says, uh, well, I will follow you, but just let me first go bury my father. And he says, no, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. What? The unexpected responses that Jesus has just given them. And now his disciples who have followed, who have committed to him, get this Rebuke. Why are you afraid? Imagine the disciples. I don't know if anybody was, was, was bold enough to answer him, but I can imagine them thinking, why are we afraid? Look around. Look around, Jesus. I'll tell you why we're afraid. We're in a storm. We're going to die. That's why we're afraid. We've tried everything we know to do. The boat is taking on water. The ship is going to break apart. Why are you talking about uh, peace and, 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 and fear? We don't have time for this and we don't have time for the lecture or for the for the, uh, the Bible study on faith. 
We need to do something now. In fact, Jesus, you need to do something quickly. Imagine the panic in their voices. The looks that they must have given to one another as they give this, can you believe he just said this? Did I hear him right? Why are you afraid? And again, calling us men of little faith? Why can't Jesus recognize the danger that we're in? Does he realize how much trouble we're all in? Does he even care? Well, we read on, Jesus got up. Again, I don't know if Jesus got up and walked to the other side of the boat to maybe get away from the rest of them to speak to the winds and the waves, or maybe he just stood where he was standing or where he had just been sleeping. But he spoke, this time kind of over the shoulders of the disciples, not to the disciples anymore. He's already told them what he wants to tell them, but now he turns to the sea. And again, I wonder, was it a whisper? Was it the still, small voice? Peace, be still. I don't think it was. I think it was a shout because at the very least he needed to say it loud enough, not so that the wind and the waves would hear him. It wasn't like a parent raising his voice to show that I mean business. It was because someone had to write this down. And if he whispered it, maybe they didn't know what he said. So I think he, he yelled it a little loud enough so that these guys could record this. This is what Jesus said. And he shouts, peace. He's still. It's a rebuke. It's a, it's a chastisement. He's chiding the, the wind and the waves. This is not a, a person. These are not demons. This is, this is wind and this is waves. And he's rebuking them. These waves know the voice of the one who made them. They recognize the authority of the one who spoke them into existence in that first week of creation. Who divided them and made the dry land appear between them. They know the sound of the one who spoke to them, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed, creating the boundaries that the waters may not pass over them. They know who is speaking to them. And when he says, peace, be still, at his word, immediately the storm ceased. The winds didn't gradually die down. They stopped as suddenly as they had come up. Think about the waves. Water doesn't typically stop. It rests. It calms gradually down. But I think that this, this emphasis on a great calm tells us that the water obeyed right away. Even the water and the wind knows who's in charge. And when He tells them to do something, they obey. Matthew tells us there in verse 26 that there was a great Instantly, the storm is over and passed. Wind isn't blowing anymore. You can imagine the sea is as calm as glass. The noise and the chaos are replaced by a great calm and like a deafening silence. And I imagine that that was a very long moment on the boat. Can you imagine being one of the disciples having just witnessed what you just saw? A long moment, nobody's speaking. And you're just standing there on the boat trying to process what just happened. They have witnessed the first miracle of its kind. Yes, Jesus has healed sick people. He has cast out demons even. But no one has ever seen this before. 
This was a new thing. This was well beyond what they had ever imagined. This was controlling nature. And only God can control nature. So what does that say about Jesus? And we, we see that questioning in their final phrase. Verse 27 tells us that they marvel. Remember just a few verses ago when the centurion spoke to Jesus, it says that Jesus marveled. He was in awe. He was amazed. And now we see the disciples are marveled. Their mouths hang open. They look around at each other. They look around at the sea that just ten seconds ago was chaotic and storming and maybe dark and, and, and foreboding. And now it's peaceful and serene and beautiful. And they look at Jesus, the One who did that. It didn't happen coincidentally that when Jesus woke up, the storm went away. When Jesus woke up, He said something to the wind and to the waves, to that storm, and it heard Him and obeyed Him. What manner of man is this? Who is this? What sort of man is this that even wind and waves obey Him? Matthew tells us that they marveled, but again, I encourage you to read the other two accounts in Mark and Luke. Mark and Luke both add something that they were greatly afraid. They were they feared what just happened. The great storm that had caused a great panic caused them to wake up Jesus, who then rebuked the storm and brought great calm. But as a result of this, it left them with great fear. But this fear was different than the fear they had just a few moments before. Before, they were worried about dying. They were, they were consumed with uh, saving themselves, maybe the ship. But now this is a fear that's different of dying. This is the fear of being in the presence of God Himself. And I imagine that's when someone finally breaks the silence with, who is this? That's Jesus. Who is that? That even the wind and the waves obey Him. And in a way, kind of frustrating to me, at least as I read through this, because this is exactly where all three evangelists leave their story. The very next thing we find, they arrive at shore safe and sound. But it doesn't tell us about anything that happened from that moment of that last question that kind of leaves us hanging to stepping on shore and jumping right back into the action. I wonder what kind of questions were asked, thought in their own minds and hearts, but then asked of Jesus there on the boat. What perspectives had been shifted now based on what they had just seen? What commitments were reevaluated? We don't know. We can only wonder. And at this point of the story, this whole purpose of this little paragraph in the Scripture is, I think, often missed. I think many times people, we are guilty of looking at stories like this, and the takeaway ends up being something like this. Jesus will calm the storm for you just like He did for His disciples. If you're going through a storm in your life right now, just cry out to Jesus and He will deliver you. Sounds good. But I don't think that that's the message of the story. 
think the message of the story is very different from that. Because see, the, the storm that these disciples went through was not a metaphor. We talk about the poor health news or, or, or the loss of a loved one or, or maybe a, a broken relationship, a strained uh, family issue or whatever, and we say, I'm going through a storm right now. And we mean it metaphorically because the wind really isn't blowing outside and it's not raining down. It's only going on in your life or maybe a few people around you, but nobody else knows what's going on. There may be people in this room right now. You could say, I'm going through a storm right now. And, and the person right next to you could say, things have never been better for me. The sun is shining, metaphorically. The, the birds are singing. I am on top of the world. We say I'm on a mountaintop and the person next to us could be fighting for their life in a valley deeper and darker than they've ever known it to be. For the disciples, it was a real storm. It was a literal wind and waves life-changing, almost life-ending storm out at sea. And it seems to me that the purpose of this storm was for the disciples to better realize who Jesus really is. See, it was a test of their faith. They had been previously taught what the cost of discipleship would be, and they had agreed to the terms of following Christ. But now, they experienced the cost. Now it was time to pay the price. They would prove their commitment to Christ. They had seen Jesus do amazing things for people. They had uh, seen Him perform all kinds of miracles, and in their minds, at least they thought they knew who Jesus was. But this event totally changed all of that. They thought Jesus was one thing, and the calming of the storm left them with, who is that? What sort of man is that? Because it's not who they thought he really was. And in one night, their entire perspective of Christ changed forever. So how does it apply to us? Well, again, it's not wrong to apply this to metaphorical storms in our life. And I don't want to diminish the storms in your life that you go through. But the truth is that I, that I don't want you to walk away with is that it is not that God is going to calm every storm that you have in life. Like the disciples, I believe that the purpose of the storms that you and I go through are so that we can better see and know Christ and ultimately give Him glory in them. We come to church, we, we study our Bibles, we spend time walking with Christ and serving Him, but even through all of that, our understanding of who Jesus really is can be incomplete, even lacking. And so then, a storm comes into our life, some kind of a trouble or, or difficulty or even a tragedy, and those things come into our lives and they reveal to us how much or how little we really know about God. It will reveal the cracks in our theology, if you will. What we thought it was going to be like, for better or for worse, it's not exactly as we anticipated. And I think we do it unaware sometimes, but I think that we limit God in our belief 
in what we think God is able to do. We say, and I think we believe, the confession that God can do anything. But we really don't know what anything means, how broad that is, until we're tested. It's kind of like a young couple standing at the altar, exchanging marriage vows. They all, for the most part, say the same words, for better, for worse. But we really don't know how much worse, worse is until we go through it. We don't list it out. You realize it could mean this, or this, or this, or this. And for an hour, we grill the husband to be and the wife to be and say, you promise to love him through this? You promise to, to be faithful even in this situation? What, what about this situation and this situation? We just say, for better or for worse, do you commit? And I think all, we're all like, yeah, 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 we're in. I'm in. You know, let's get the honeymoon started. And then years down the road, we realize what worse actually means. The storm was the worse for the disciples. And honestly, it was going to get worse later on. But we don't know what it really means until we're tested. Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.20, he said that God is able to do far more abundantly then we ask or think. And that it means that God can do what I think He can do, but it also means that God can do what I can't even imagine is possible. And the storm reveals then, when it comes into my life, it reveals how little and how lacking my understanding is of a great big God. And just like the disciples Go to we go through this storm and our boat is rocking like crazy and we're we've tried everything we know to do and we come to God and God sometimes does the impossible or sometimes He does the unexpected and I think it leaves us sometimes with that same question: Who is this? I mean, what kind of a God does that? Sometimes people will say that. When they go through something, they say, I can't believe a God who loves people would allow people to go through that. But often we can come through it for the better and we can say, you know what? I had a very, what I thought was a high view of God until I went through that and I realized how little I understood of God. How little of a Jesus I had in my mind and I realized He is much bigger than I can fathom. He is much grander and much holier and much wiser than above all that I ask or even think. And for the disciples, the storm revealed Jesus' authority in a greater way than ever before. See, they expected Him to do something. That's why they cried out to Jesus, save us. Sometimes I, I think about it, just the, in the humanity of Jesus, I I don't think Jesus was the one that they thought, yes, He's the one who knows how to sail the seas. He's a carpenter in His human job, if you will. Peter and James and John, those are the guys who knew what to do. But they went to Jesus, save us, Jesus. We need something. So I think they had some anticipation that He could do something, but it definitely wasn't that. I don't think any of them were waking Him up so that He would tell the storms to be quiet. And when He did, it shocked them. 
it scared them. This was new. This changed the way that they viewed Jesus from that moment on. And I think, in a way, from that night, Jesus became more to them than just a miracle worker, than just a healer or a teacher or a prophet. And I think they had a long ways to go still. I still think that they didn't get it all that night, but there was a noticeable increase in their view of God. And it was because of a storm. Now many of the Psalms that we read in our Bible tell us of God's deliverance for His people and even His sovereign control over nature. I would, I'd like to read a few of them. One of them is rather lengthy, and so if you want to jot them down, you can look at them a little later and really read them. But think about these Psalms, and I want to make a comment about them after I read them. Psalm 65, verse 7 says this, that God is the one who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at His signs. Psalm 89, verse 8 says that, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as You are, O Lord, with Your faithfulness all around You, You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, You still them. And listen to this. This is Psalm 107. It begins in verse 23. I call this the sailor's psalm. This Psalm 107 is about four psalms within it. And this one uh, is, is, is just incredible. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the ways of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And He brought them to their desired haven. That was penned many, many years before Matthew chapter 8. And as Jews themselves, the disciples were no doubt familiar with these psalms. They would have sung them. That was their hymn book. They would have been very familiar with these Scriptures. But the storm that night, in a way, made the truths of God's Word come alive because they literally lived Psalm 107 out. Go back and read that again and, and, and compare that to what the story tells us. They lived it out detail for detail. They saw God's Word come alive to them in a totally new way. Jesus, the one to whom they had committed their lives to follow, was now more than just a great teacher or a prophet. God had revealed to them that night through this storm that He was more than that. Jesus is God in the flesh. Similar to Job. Job went through all the suffering that he tried, he had to go through. Job 42.5, towards the end of this, after Job has seen the hand of God both allow him to go through that and then bring him out of that, he says this in Job 42.5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I knew about you. Now I see you. What was the change? Suffering, storm, pain, sorrow. So when we're in the middle of a storm, 
What do we do? Either you're in a storm right now, you just got done with a storm, or you're about to go through one. That's how life is. What do we do? Well, the storms are meant to show us Jesus better. And the best thing we do is look to Him. Look to Christ. The disciples' doubt in the storm, as well as their disbelief afterwards, was because they fully didn't grasp who Jesus is. I'm going to read a couple of quotes to you from D.A. Carson. He wrote this, The most serious deficiency of faith displayed by the disciples lay in their failure to recognize who Jesus really is. They have not come to grips yet with who He is, and that is precisely why their faith is so beggarly. We, standing on this side of the cross, can look back and read stories like this and say, of course there was no reason to be afraid. Jesus can't die at sea. He's got to die on the cross. The Father's will is for Him to go to Calvary. They could have seen that if they had studied their, their, their Old Testament. They would have studied, they know that Jesus is the Messiah and the Messiah has to die a specific way. But for us, we can read that and we can say, of course, the storm wasn't a threat to Jesus. We know the story about the one who walks on water and anybody who walks on water is not afraid of drowning. But the disciples' version of Jesus, though it was better than most, I would say, was still incomplete. It was less than who Jesus really is. Again, Carson wrote, faith urgently needs to know not so much what Jesus will do, or what promises He may have made that are applicable to this or that situation, but who Jesus is. He says the Christian must learn that knowing the authentic Jesus better is what strengthens faith the most. And I read that this week. I was already kind of thinking that direction, but I read that I thought this is exactly what I'm trying to say. It's exactly what I'm trying to get at. That it's not about what I'm going to get out of this storm. It's who is in the boat with me. Who is in the storm while I'm going through it? It's an old song. It's not an old song, I don't think. but it sums up the, the story well. It says, All who sail the sea of faith find out before too long how quickly Blue skies can grow dark and gentle winds grow strong. Suddenly, fear is like white water pounding on the soul. Still, we sail on knowing that our Lord is in control. Sometimes He calms the storm. With a whispered peace, be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean He will. Sometimes He holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes He calms the storm. Other times, He calms His child. As we go through storms, let us pray that God will reveal Himself to us more clearly through the storms that we face. And when we're in the throes of the wind and the waves and the chaos and the, and the, the panic and all the things that go on around us, Pick up the words of Psalm 46. Josh read it for us this morning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, 
Will the mountains tremble at its swelling? Why will we not fear? Why are we not panicked? Because God is our refuge and our strength. Because we know who Jesus really is. Would you pray with me, please? Father, you are the calmer of storms, both literally and spiritually in our lives. But even as I read through this, and no doubt you reminded us as we studied this, that you allow these storms in. You could have, as we talked about healing several weeks now, you could have prevented these storms from ever coming into our lives, and yet you sail us right into them. You can calm them. You can prevent them. Father, our first reaction is that You would take it all away and make it smooth sailing from here until the end. As life has taught us, we have seen it in our own lives and in other people's lives, that is not how anybody's life is. We go through storms. Father, if we could not get lesson from them, it would be a huge waste. What a wasted suffering to go through them and not see You. Not know Your presence. Not know how well You, you take care of us. How, how well You care for us. Shelter in the time of storm. Father, this morning, for those who are in a storm, we pray that You would Show Yourself to them. May they see You. May they be strengthened in their chaos and find peace. For those of our number here that maybe they're not in a storm yet, they have been granted serenity at the moment, peace, calm, quiet. We pray that You would strengthen our faith Prepare us. Help us to remember what, uh, to whom we look so that when we get into the storm, when it comes again, and they inevitably do, may we look to You. Keep our eyes firmly fixed on You. May we be able to sing through it all, storms or not, I've learned to trust in You. Of course, there's someone here this morning who does not know You as the Savior. We know they go through storms just like everybody else. We would pray that they would find You in the midst of their suffering. That the suffering, the storm, the, the chaos, the, the loss, the hurt, the pain would not be wasted or in vain. That they would see the One who suffered even greater the one who paid for sin, the one who battled the harshest storm on a cross. We pray that the storm in their life would be used to bring them to You. Bring them to faith, repentance, to salvation in Jesus alone. Lord, You know exactly what each of us needs, 
what each of us is going through. This morning, we pray that you would minister to our hearts as only you can. May your Holy Spirit comfort those who are down, give strength to those who are weary, reprove those who are fearing and unnecessarily in despair. You are the answer to every one of our problems, every one of our needs. Father, this morning we we need to see you in our storms. We do pray that you would give us that vision. For all of these things, we give you the thanks and the praise. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.